This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Rhode Island State Senator Sam Bell. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Thank you so much. Of course. So could you tell us about what inspired you to run for office in the first place and what your experience was like? Yeah, you know, I inspired might not be the right word. I think it's probably better to say I was angry and upset with what was happening here in Rhode Island. You know, for people who might not be from Rhode Island, we have a very weird political system here where the state, everyone in Rhode Island, uh, in pretty much every level of uh, government is a Democrat. All the general officers are Democrats. And the House and Senate are almost entirely controlled by Democrats. But a lot of the Democrats here are people with extremely right-wing political views. Um, so, for instance, in the Senate, Senate President is anti-choice, endorsed by Right to Life, uh, has taken thousands of dollars from the NRA, and is endorsed by them, uh, very conservative on uh, gun control, uh, voted against marriage equality, and really is still not over the idea of the LGBTQ community being uh, part of America. And, you know, uh, we had one of the biggest tax cuts for the rich in all of American history. I think only North Dakota has had taxes for the rich by more than we have, even bigger than Kansas. And our state economy and budget have been uh, a mess ever since. And so many of my neighbors are really suffering. It's a breakdown of basic public services. The roads are in really terrible shape. The schools are crumbling, you know, in Providence. Uh, really struggle with, with even small things, like they cut the rat catchers. There are a lot of rats in our neighborhoods. And there are real quality of life challenges. But the most painful thing, I think, happened in the brutal assault we've done on health care. You know, Medicaid has been the biggest target for cuts here. And the stories I heard from constituents on the doors were really heartbreaking. You know, one woman who was terminated in the middle of her cancer treatment they didn't uh, work with her to get her back on the exchange, so she had to pay $30,000 for the chemotherapy she'd been receiving. And, you know, she really only found out she'd been terminated when we gave her a $30,000 bill, and now she's worried about leaving her home. I heard those kinds of stories over and over and over again because, you know, in the summer of 2017, they kicked 2% of the state population, 20,000 people, uh, off of Medicaid. And... It's really, really painful what's been happening in our state. So I was really angry and I was upset. And um, my state senator was challenged by a Democrat uh, whose views I found, you know, who had been a former Republican operative and had some views particularly around uh, racial politics that I found extremely inappropriate. and. I thought that I had to run to have someone who's a real Democrat. You know, the incumbent 
was, even though it's a pretty progressive district, you know, still wasn't on board with what I think of as basic Democratic Party policies, like, you know, supporting a woman's right to choose, you know, took endorsement from right to life. And I really do believe it is a woman's right to choose. And, you know, here in Rhode Island, those rights are really under threat because we're a state where we could snap back uh, if we lose Roe v. Wade at the national level. And unless we protect the Path to Reproductive Health Care Act, we're not going to be safe. And we can see this really fundamental uh, health care right get shut down in our state. And I really do not believe we can allow that to happen. But the other thing that I talked about a lot of my race was tax cuts for the rich. So the guy I conceded in the primary had been one of the main advocates for cutting taxes for the rich even more, in particular by cutting the inheritance tax that very wealthy people pay on money they inherit, uh, which, of course, was the core of the Trump tax cuts for the rich. And there are a lot of, you know, my neighbors who are are really struggling and agreed with me that it's kind of ridiculous that we're pushing for tax cuts for the wealthiest people in our state while we're suffering with the breakdown of basic services. And taxes have gone way up, particularly on very poor people in our state. And it's just immoral. That's basically why I ran. Um, people agreed with me during the campaign and decided to vote me in to represent them in the Senate. Um, that's what I'm trying to do my best to do. And what were the results of the 2018 midterms in your state? What do they mean for the future of these huge issues, economic justice, civil rights for LGBTQ people, reproductive freedom? Yeah, so, you know, we made some gains. Uh, it wasn't, you know, as many gains as, you know, as, you know, I think we made in New York or some other place like that. But we definitely made some steps forwards. Um, what's really, really exciting now is that we're having Democrats standing up and fighting back against the really right-wing machine leaders in the House and the Senate. Um, you know, it used to be that uh, we weren't uh, standing up and fighting back and voting against these very, very right-wing Democrats who run the, you know, the House Speaker and Senate President. But now we're doing that. And, you know, in, in the House, there are about 20 Democrats who vote against the House Speaker almost all of them pro-choice Democrats, who do believe in a woman's right to choose. You know, in the Senate, I was the only Democrat to oppose the Senate president in the caucus vote, but a veteran Senator Donna Nesselbutch joined me on the floor, which was huge. And I know that there are a ton of other uh, Democratic senators who share my concerns with the Senate president and believe in a woman's right to choose, LGBTQ equality, gun control, I do think that, you know, within the Senate, uh, Senator Nessa Bush is married to a woman, I'm bisexual. I think for those of us, you know, closer to the LGBTQ community, the homophobia hits home a little more, and it becomes a little more personal. Uh, I have a lot of LGBTQ constituents, and I think it's really important that we have a, a conversation about LGBTQ rights that goes beyond... Um, uh, where we have it. I'm really interested in seeing what we can do to improve uh, our legislation around and our policies around how we how we support trans and gender non-conforming Rhode Islanders. Uh, I think that there are a lot of places where our language around gender 
um, in the law and in administrative policies could be uh, improved and become much more sensitive and supporting. And so I think that's, that's something that we really need to work on. And I also think it's really important that we stand up and we say that we can't have people leading the Senate who still oppose marriage equality. And in some cases, you know, behind closed doors, we'll really emphasize that they are very much not over it. And I think it's really important that we get a marriage equality supporter in office as president of the Senate. And I'm also hoping that we can get a Senate president who's willing to support uh, the rights of people of color. Um, you know, Rhode Island, of course, has a voter ID law. And uh, we pushed all sorts of pretty horrifying uh, stuff around racial policy. I think it's really important that we roll back some of our really harsh criminal justice policies. Uh, you know, we're looking like we're going to be an island of prohibition around marijuana. Uh, Massachusetts has legalized and Connecticut is about to. Not as. And that's really concerning to me. And I think, you know, to a large degree, we're just going to keep locking people up in jail. Uh, and we really should be moving towards more restorative justice models. And to what extent do you see the governor as an ally to the progressive agenda? Uh, the governor is uh, to zero extent, I think. The governor is extremely right-wing. The governor, I think, is now maybe her choice again. She, uh, earlier in her tenure, she's gone sort of back and forth on this issue. She was pro-choice, and then she started pushing aggressive abortion restrictions to restrict access to uh, reproductive rights for planes sold on our Obamacare exchange. Then she went back to being pro-choice. I think she's still pro-choice, although she pointedly left reproductive rights. And it's not like she's going to talk about reproductive rights in her speeches and advocate for it or anything like that. She's extremely conservative on economic issues, you know, strongly opposed to repealing our tax cuts for the rich, uh, champions more and more tax cuts, uh, gets awards from conservative organizations for her uh, tax cuts agenda, has been dismantling uh, our Medicaid system in ways that are scary and horrifying, and a lot of the, the worst and most damaging policies uh, that I heard about from constituents, uh, the Medicaid cuts, uh, the pension cuts, those were her initiatives. And, uh, you know, I think within the context of Rhode Island, she's not as extremely right-wing as the House Speaker and Senate President, but, you know, certainly she's nowhere near as liberal as someone like, you know, Joe Manchin or a lot of the more moderate Republican governors like Charlie Baker, Larry Hogan, you know, and, and I think is probably one of the main enemies of the progressive movement in Rhode Island, and I would say more broadly within the Democratic Party in America. Probably the most, I'd say almost certainly the most conservative Democrat elected to position as high as governor or senator. And what is your healthcare platform? What kind of system do you believe in? Yeah, so I mean, I believe that we need to move towards a single payer system. That uh, Medicare for all model. I think that all the, the countries that have tried that—France, Australia—show just dramatically better uh, results than uh, our our current uh, model, where we have uh, private insurance companies making massive profits off the backs of families that are going bankrupt 
for medical bills, which is just completely unfair and so unjust. In the first step, I think, in Rhode Island is that we need to move to a single-payer Medicaid system. You know, when the Republicans took over in Iowa, one of the first things they did is privatize their Medicaid system and move from a single-payer Medicaid system to one where it's all, there are all these private health insurance companies um, that make big uh, profits off uh, health care for poor people. And I really think that we need to go back to that kind of uh, single-payer model. And, you know, Rhode Island here, we have this privatized model, exactly what Republicans did in Iowa. Uh, Connecticut experimented with this and then moved back to a single-payer model. And I really think in Rhode Island, we have to go back to a single-payer model uh, for Medicaid. And that's a step that we can really take here. Um, they re we recently, because of the abject failure of one of the um, uh, private insurance companies that took over our integrated care initiative, which is where we're covering patients who are eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. Um, because the abject failure of the private insurance company that was uh, overseeing that to deliver the services at a reasonable price, the state actually had to step in and take it over, I believe. And so this is currently developing, but it looks like uh, we might be making some steps in the right direction, mostly just because of the failures of the privatized model. And I'm really hoping that we can move in a direction where we have a single-payer Medicaid system in Rhode Island as Democrats advocate for uh, across the country. What is the state of LGBTQ rights right now? Yeah, so in Rhode Island, you know, we do have marriage equality. We actually did pass marriage equality through the legislature before before the Supreme Court ruling. It was a long and brutal battle, but we got it done. The Right now, you know, there are a lot of things I would love to see. So, for instance, our Constitution does not protect LGBTQ rights, and I think that we need to ensure that that uh, our state constitution provides those protections. And uh, I think that it's really crucial that uh, we do something to ensure that our state government is supportive of our uh, trans and gender nonconforming community. Now, that has a lot of very small specifics around you know, gender names and forms and that kind of stuff, but uh, we need to make sure that we have a comprehensive approach to to supporting uh, trans and uh, gender nonconforming Rhode Islanders. You know, there are some forms that you know, require you to gender a female, and, and I think that we really need to we really need to, to fix those problems in a comprehensive way. And what is that comprehensive way? Well, so it's an interesting question. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's important, um, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm a cis man, and it's not necessarily right for me to be the person who comes and says all the specific details about what needs to be changed. And I really think we need to process that where the, where the community it has a, is able to have a voice and can say exactly what the most important changes are. And what about racial justice? Yeah, so I think in terms of racial justice, there's a lot we need to do. Uh, number one, we really do have to repeal the voter ID law. I, it's, it's immoral. I also think it is a travesty that we have not a single Latino judge on the bench in Rhode Island. We are 
a state with a, a large Latino population, and it is really insulting that there isn't a single Latino judge on the bench. We really need to address the way the judiciary handles criminal justice and racial justice in general, which has been absolutely horrifying. And we need to address segregation. Uh, we have very segregationary zoning in, in Rhode Island and Providence, this, the community I represent, is especially bad. And we need to do something and encourage more integration-focused zoning codes. And a part of that uh, will require state legislation uh, because I don't think you can force, I don't think you can expect communities that have a history of problematic racial housing policy to necessarily address it on their own. I'm really excited about uh, Council President Sabina Matos and her efforts uh, around this. I think it's going to be really, really great. Um, and I'm enthusiastic for what I think she's going to be able to get done here in Providence. But I think that we need everyone working together towards this goal, both the state and municipal level. Uh, and I think that that's really, really important. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And while this may not be something you're involved in, I'm sure you're aware of efforts nationwide to unseat conservative and centrist incumbent Democrats who are in opposition to civil rights and economic justice. I'm sure there are folks in your state who are working for that, who are supportive of that. What are your thoughts on these efforts? Well, I strongly support those. You know, um, here in Rhode Island, I, I'd say I'm, I'm, you know, quite a bit more towards the, the liberal spectrum of our elected officials. And, you know, because the machine is so extremely right-wing, often we do ally ourselves with uh, centrist and uh, a lot of people who are a little bit more conservative Democrats are still well to the left of the extremist, hard-right uh, machine folks. So, for instance, you know, someone like, like the governor, who is uh, by National Democratic Party standards, extremely right-wing, is someone who, on a couple of issues, and some of her, you know, her agency directors will often, uh, you know, are people I can work with, and, you know, work with against the even more extreme hard-right agenda of the legislative leaders. But I think that the top priority has to be to win primaries, to unseat these extremist, conservative, hard-right uh, Democrats. and. 
you know, I was able to do it uh, here in, in my race. And I'm really hopeful. You know, there are a number of other uh, progressives who, who won seats. And I'm really excited about the possibility that we're going to be able to pick up quite a few more seats in the next round of primaries. Primaries are an incredible tool. It's the right way to solve this problem by going to the people and asking the people uh, whether they would like someone who is a Democrat or somebody who uh, opposes the party on a lot of its core uh, values. And I think it's really important that we have Democrats who support the National Democratic Party and parts of its agenda, you know, who don't go to Trump rallies, who actually oppose Donald Trump, who are proud to be pro-choice, who don't take money from the NRA, who uh, do support marriage equality, who believe that we need to repeal the tax cuts for the rich, who support uh, racial justice who support the Black Lives Matter movement, who uh, believe that we should have a Latino judge uh, in the state of Rhode Island, and who believe that uh, we need to really create a healthcare system where people don't go bankrupt uh, because they get sick. And um, I think that that's really important. And I think that most people in Rhode Island share that agenda. I mean, we're pretty liberal state in terms of how we vote typically at the national level. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders won Rhode Island by a comfortable margin uh, after his campaign was, in, you know, really faltering at the national level. And I imagine that we'll vote progressive again in the presidential primary. Uh, we elect very solid Democrats at the national level, although I wish Jim Langevin would come around and say that he does support a woman's right to choose. Uh, but aside from Jim, my congressman, uh, the rest of our national delegation is, you know, our great Democrats. David Cicilline become a strong progressive leader in the House. And Sheldon Whitehouse and Jack Reed do a really great job. But, yeah, at the state level, we have to win primaries. That's the only way to do it. And we have to do that work. And you mentioned being a member of the LGBTQ community. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to have that representation in the legislature? I think it's really important because Rhode Island is a place where, you know, we have people who are still really reluctant about uh, things like marriage equality. Um, and, you know, one of my colleagues who represents, you know, another Providence district uh, was very concerned about our effort to, to ban conversion therapy. And it's a lot harder to share those views when you have LGBTQ people to talk to and who are part of the legislature. And I do think that, um, you know, for me, it was a big part of why I couldn't support the leadership. That was personal to me. Um, you know, when there are people who don't support marriage equality as a bisexual, it, it really... It, it's something that, that that is personal to me. And I think it, it means that I'm more willing to fight for those issues, I imagine, um, or it's more personal in the way I, I look at them. And I think it's important that people who make these, these policies have to understand that there is an LGBT community that's part of Rhode Island. Uh, one of the things we still do is we have these token votes or procedural votes to pass what are called the solemnations. That's what are called solemnization of marriage bills. 
And these are bills to authorize someone who is not normally licensed to perform a marriage uh, to officiate. So, for instance, let's say you have a friend who is not a uh, member of uh, some uh, religious clergy or a judge or someone you know, authorized to perform a marriage, and uh, you want to pass a bill to allow this. And this is sort of something that we have these bills that go to the legislature. They always pass. Uh, but some of these marriages are uh, same-sex marriages. And in some cases, uh, some senators, including Democratic senators, Democratic representatives, will just vote against these bills because they object to same-sex marriages. And that's really insulting. And it is insulting to people to say that their marriage isn't real, that it's not valid, that, that their love is wrong. And we should move past that as a society and understand that love is love. And respect people for who they are. And I I think it's really important that within the legislature in Rhode Island, we have this conversation and people that people are forced to talk about these issues with LGBTQ community in the, members in the room. And going into 2020, what impact do you think our listeners can make? How can they get involved in your state politics and fight for a progressive agenda? Uh, the number one thing I always recommend everyone do is, number one, uh, figure out who your legislators are, and uh, number two, uh, call them. You know, you can find their numbers online um, and uh, give them a phone call, meet with them, uh, share your concerns with them. It's really powerful. Um, legislators rarely hear from people, and when we do, it it, it matters to us. Uh, we take notice, um, and uh, that's what I encourage people to do. And if, you know, you have a reasonable legislator who's at least polite, they'll, they should listen to you. And I, you know, sometimes it might take them a little while to call you back. I urge you to reach out, email them, um, call them. And uh, the next thing to do is to start watching what happens in the state house and uh, to speak out about it. Uh, you know, if everyone in Rhode Island knew what was going on, uh, this would the fight will be over really, really quickly. Uh, but progressives are not organized enough, and we need to get more organized. We need more people getting involved in our movement, and you, any single person can make a massive difference, and routinely does in elections, and it's really, really powerful. One of the things that really surprised me about getting involved in the political process is just how easy it is to make change. Uh, and, you know, I had thought that I was someone who would have, you know, wouldn't be able to have much effect in the system, but I found Absolutely. You know, you can have huge effect. And it's actually not that hard to get involved. It seems really, really intimidating originally. Uh, you know, as you, you get started, I was super nervous the first few times, you know, I talked to legislators or went to the state house to testify for a bill. But actually, it's a process that's pretty open because we are a democratic society and we still have democracy here in America. It's just an incredibly powerful tool that we can use to fight for a just and fair society. And that's what I really encourage people to do. And how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, so my number is 680-0725. Um, I encourage my constituents to call me if they have views on state issues. Um, you can also email me at uh, swbell11 at uh, gmail.com. And, um, you know, I'll do my best to get back to you. Sometimes my phone fills up and it takes me a day or two to respond. 
but I'll do my best to get back to you, and yeah, I'd be happy to hear your thoughts, and and it's really important, you know, even if you're not my constituent, but especially if you are, uh, I really want to 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 hear your thoughts. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, and we hope to get you on again later in the year to hear about all the progress you've made. Well, you know, I can't promise that we're going to make a ton of progress. <laughs> we're doing our best. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make any promises I can't keep. You know, I've had a lot of constituents would ask me how I want to get, how I'm going to get done all the things that I can do. And, you know, sometimes I have to be honest and tell them that, no, these are not things that we can get done under the current political system, and I don't want to lie to them. And that's why it's so important that we have to fight to change our whole political system and change all the power dynamics so that we can actually get things done. Um, and right now, unfortunately, if you care about Democratic Party uh, policies, it's real tough to get anything done in Rhode Island uh, until we elect real Democrats and we have real Democrats in charge. And so that's what we're pushing for, pushing for reforming the process and bringing actual Democrats uh, who care about real families uh, back into power in our state. So thank you so much for having me on. I'd be happy to come back. And thank you guys for all the work you're doing to highlight uh, what's going on in, you know, state legislatures, which are often pretty obscure places. And it's really, really important. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. We appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you want to keep up to date with the Millennial Politics Podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on social media, and tune in to the Progressive Radio Network every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.